God that we can run to. Because there's nothing better than that. Imagine, imagine a God who was so far away where you didn't know where you were. You're a God who is, who is near to all. You're a God who, who walks alongside us in the journey of life. A God who is never far, who is never asleep. We thank you that that's a God we can trust and we can come to and we can talk to and we can rely on. We thank you, God, for who you are. And thank you just for the privilege, God, of coming together with your people in your word. Would you speak to us, we pray today. In Jesus' name, amen. Please have a seat, church. It's good to see you uh, this morning. I just wanted to give you a couple of quick announcements. And that is, um, Adam's already mentioned it, but we have a, 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 we call it a connections lunch. It's uh, it's basically for people who have joined the church in the last couple of months, and that'll, we were going to do it outside just here, but it's it's a little bit cold this morning, right? So we might do that maybe over in the corner. Um, That's that's 11.30. And that's just to to help people who are new to the church find other people who are new to the church and meet leaders and and just all that sort of stuff. And it's a really uh, valuable experience. But can I just say that if you're here maybe for the first time or second time or third time or one of those times and you haven't got lunch plans, we would love you to come and join us. We always order a little bit too much so there's there's a little bit extra um, to share. And if that's you this morning, would you come and say hello to myself or Pastor Adam and we'll make sure we've got enough tucker to, um, to look after everybody. Um, second announcement, would just be, I just want to let you know that Pastor Nathan um, would, would ordinarily be here with, uh, with bells on. He'd usually be pretty excited to be here. Um, but he's had, a, he's had a stint of a, of a good virus this week and uh, didn't want to infect uh, his church family. So that's very kind of him. Um, so he's... Um, He's uh, home from hospital. That was uh, Friday. Uh, had a had a, a little, a couple of little uh, seasons of. Um, he he hasn't been sick in years, and then when obviously when he gets sick, it um, it hits him hard. So, please, actually, you know what? Where is church? Let's let's pray for him. Um, it's good that we can come together, God, and we thank you that the church is bigger than one person. But we thank you, God. Um, for Pastor Nathan this morning. And we, th- we thank you, God, that he is well and truly on the mend. And uh, thank you, God, that you've looked after him this week. We pray that you would continue to bring healing and blessing and encouragement to him this morning as he rests. And Lord, we know that the, the, the next week's a big one, um, big meetings and, and lots, of, lots, of, lots of things moving forward. And we pray your blessing and your encouragement on him as he, as he leads us in that, in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, right. A couple of years ago, uh, TV shows, right? You know how TV shows, they have, they have like reruns. One of the ones I've been watching, I haven't watched it, but I know that reruns have been on, is Undercover Boss. And it used to be the story that basically what would happen is the boss, the CEO of some multi-billion dollar company... Would, would basically change his appearance, he'd, change his, he'd, he'd move out of his mansion for a week, he'd go, and go into some little backwater town in the middle of nowhere, do some cleaning, do some serving, do some very, very humble sort of stuff. And he did it all to, I, I suppose, identify the culture, of the, the culture of the place that he's working in. He wants to understand the connection between head office 
and this little place here. And he's trying to get his sense, a sense of, uh, I suppose, you know, he, he finds all these things that are wrong to fix. He finds all these, these workers who have been working really hard and they've been doing the right stuff, but they're, they're not quite... They've never actually been noticed before. And I always found the, I always found the, the end of the week when the worker gets summoned to the, to the company head office. He walks into this palatial you know, mansion of, a, of an office and he is, he is the CEO behind the desk. And they have this conversation. And so once, once or twice in your, when you watch this show... One of the, if there's been like a really sort of bad sort of thing during the week, there's usually one of these moments where, where somebody gets basically some, some very pointed words at them about, you messed this up, you did the wrong stuff. But most of the time, it's overwhelmingly positive, okay? The, the worker walks out of this encounter with the CEO and says, he, he spent some time on my level next to me. He understands what life's like in my shoes and there's some sort of connection now between me and me and him. He's, he's, he's my man, right? Back uh, many years ago in the police force, we, we had a couple of nights there where the... This is back very, very much in the early sort of Fortitude Valley uh, times. The, the Premier, the Police Minister... The commissioner would come and do these big sort of media media contingent would some would come and follow them around and they just walk around the valley almost to sort of tell everyone that it's safe, right? It's it's okay, and it was usually for political gain and it was usually with about three times as many as many police as would actually be there in reality. But on some on some weird level, it always felt good knowing that the commissioner was on my level. It, it always felt nice knowing that he was a guy who could walk alongside me up the street and could have a conversation and, and he was, his, him just being there was enough. Do you know what I mean? And I suppose my question that I'm, that I'm wrestling with is what does it mean for a, what difference does it make for a Christian to know that God is with us? What difference does it make that he walks the journey with us between family and kids and church and work and just life. There's, surely his presence makes all the difference or it makes no difference at all. And I think the, the, the disciples have a, have a, a moment where, where this question, I think, I think hits them. Um, this is one of, it's one of those stories that all of us have read about a thousand times. I'm going to read it again. Uh, This is Mark 4, 35. As evening came, Jesus said to the disciples, let's cross the other side of the lake. So they took Jesus in the boat and started out leaving the crowds behind, although other boats followed. But soon, a fierce storm came up. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. Jesus was sleeping in the back of the boat with his head on a cushion. The disciples woke him up shouting, I love this, Teacher, don't you care we're going to drown? When Jesus woke up, he rebuked the wind and said to the waves, Silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped 
and there was a great calm. Then he asked them, why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? The disciples are absolutely terrified. Who is this man? They asked each other, who is this man? Even the winds and the waves obey him. Uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a really compelling... You know what, we, re- we read that story and we're always looking at these disciples and going, you bunch of clowns, what are you thinking? We look at them and go, yeah. but before we do that, maybe we should have a, a little, little look here about a couple of things. This is still Mark 4, okay? So Jesus is very early in his ministry. The disciples are still trying to get their head around who this guy is and what should we do with him? What, what do we do? They've, they've seen him do some miracles, but this is the first time he's actually come out and commanded the forces of nature and said, no, no more. Stop. This, this is something way outside of everything they've seen before. And I think the, probably one of the other questions, I think, in my mind at least, is that the, the disciples are still trying to figure out whether they can actually go to him or not. There's, there's, still, there's still this question about, can I actually approach him is he on my level? Will he care? And I reckon if you, if you just read the story on the face of it and, and gloss over it, what you get is Jesus gets up, fixes the storm, goes back to bed, it's all sweet, right? But many of the, many of the commentators, many of the writers, many of the early church writers... Um, for, for a variety, of, I, I think, of very, very good reasons, believe that there is a period of time here between the time that the storm begins and when they come and ask Jesus for help. It could be hours. It, it, it could be any number of things. I suppose we don't know. And what started, what started out as a nice jump in the boat for a 50% effort row across the lake at a, like a nice sunset cruise now turns into this storm that they've never seen before. It turns into an 80% and then 100% and then 120% and we're exhausted and we're wet and it's, it's dark and we don't know if we've actually got anywhere and we run, we run and scream to Jesus in exhaustion a couple of hours later going, don't you care, we're going to drown. Why? I, I love this book, I've got to say. Because it talks to exactly what's going on in my head. Why is it that we of all people, church, are people who control everything and insist on controlling everything and then when we can't control it any further, we run to to God and go, can you do something for me, please, when we should have asked him days ago, hours ago, months ago. And I think, I think here's, here's the key question. The key, the key question, I think, is who is in the boat with them? We can look at this now and go, it's, it's, it's nice for us. But look at, the, look at the question. The God who made the earth and the heavens, the God who made water, the God who made the Sea of Galilee is sitting in the boat. 
He's sitting in the boat with his followers. The disciples are in the very presence of God, but they're not living in his presence. Notice that? They don't understand the difference that it makes being able to run to him and rely on him and trust him. Now, I suppose the question in my mind this morning is, what is it about our lives that prevent us from running to him when we need him? I think the first issue for me that prevents me from calling out to God about the storm we're facing is usually, I'm going to call it our default position. It's usually the place we've always run to before. That maybe it's, maybe it's, it's because of our, our experience or our background, but put yourself in these guys' shoes. The Sea of Galilee is a very shallow body of water, so it is prone to some good storms. But who are these guys? They're fishermen, right? They've got this covered. They have spent their life... They've got their nice little fishing spots over in this corner. We always catch some fish over here. We know this place is prone to storms. We have grown up here controlling everything. We know how to row a boat in a storm. We know which corner of the, which corner of the lake we can go and hide in, maybe the little sort of secluded corners where we're safe. We know, because we've grown up and done it our entire lives, how to navigate this challenge that we're right in front of. Okay, this, this is not something that where they're outside of their comfort zone. They think they've got it covered. And they're not going to run to Jesus for help if they're convinced they can manage it the same way they've always done it before. Let's face it. Us humans are creatures of habit, aren't we? And whenever the storm comes along in our life, we run back to the same thing we did to survive last time. Uh, I was chatting with a Christian guy, from, not, from, not from our church, but a, but a little while back, and he said, like, he's a smart guy. He keeps all the, the things together. He, he, he looks, looks good. He's a, he's a great thinker. Works, works for the government. Very smart man. But he said that his coping mechanism, I suppose, when the, when the challenges come is two things. It's drinking and it's gambling. So it's two... Um, it's, some, it's some late nights at the RSL, essentially, is what, is what he sort of said. And each time the trouble begins, he goes back to the same thing that saved him last time. The same thing that brought composure and, and peace last time is where I run back to. And it could be alcohol, it could be gambling, it could be pornography, it could be just ploughing into work and keeping yourself so busy that you're distracted away from whatever the problem is. But ultimately, all those things might seem good in the short term, but what are all Satan's things? They're all ultimately things that, 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 are, that are sold to you for the short-term release or freedom, but ultimately only bring a couple of things. Bondage, discontentment, addiction. That's where all these things lead. And let's be, let's, let's be honest, that's exactly where Satan wants us, running back to where we've always gone before. 
because he loves to keep us sidelined from where God wants to take us. See, the, the primary problem, at least in my mind, is this. If we're not running to Jesus, then we're running away from him, aren't we? If we're not running to him, we're running away from where God wants us. And that's ignoring his presence. That's ignoring his help. That's, that's not running to the place we need to. And you know what, church? It's, it's really simple. Let's keep, let's keep this as simple as we can. Our default position as Christians has to be to run to him. It has to be that. Not once, not twice, not when we feel like it, not when everything is good. Every single time. That's what we've got to do. Second thing that gets in our radar, I'm just going to call it doubt. Maybe our doubts. Uh, it could be, I think, that our tendency maybe to forget things. Maybe, I'm, I'm calling my forgetfulness sin. Let's just, let's just go with that for the day. Um, the, the disciples are, are in the boat. They've, start, they've got an oar in one hand and a bucket in the other. Okay? They're trying to get somewhere and try to prevent being swamped at the same time. And if Jesus was in the boat awake with them, they would have already put him, to, put, him, put him to work, wouldn't they? Here, grab this bucket, get to work. Start tossing water somewhere. Get on this oar, get to work. If he was awake, they would have already done that. But in the middle of the storm, they look over, and where's Jesus? Asleep. Now, I don't know about you, but on some subconscious level... That is the most depressing thought in my mind. That at the moment we would need him the most if he he was who he says he was, who he claimed to be, surely in this moment when we need him the most, why would he dare be asleep? You know one of Satan's greatest tricks? Is to, and he uses it over and over and over again to convince people that God doesn't really care about you. I'm sorry, God's having a sleep right now. He's sort of unavailable. Um, so, 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 so you and your situation, they'll have to wait. They aren't really that important. Rubbish. Absolute rubbish. You know what? Satan's been doing it since day one. When he went, when he went to Adam and Eve... He said, did God really say? It's always been about building, planting doubt about God's motives. Okay? And when you start thinking that God is asleep and he doesn't care about you, then you you start doubting his motives. You start doing that, you get stuck back in your default position the way that you always have, and Satan will happily keep you sidelined and distracted from God's presence where you need to run. And the problem is, I think, we get, I think we get stuck in a little circle of doubt there somewhere. We forget who is in the boat next to us. Can I just think this back for a minute, just to our, our devotions, our, our quiet times with God. The reason we, get, we talk so often, it seems, about the importance of being in God's Word and being in prayer most days, every day, whatever, whatever works. The reason we talk about that so much, the reason we talk about being part of a small group, 
The reason we talk about being, you know, praying with your spouse or doing any other number of things, being in accountable contact with other Christians. The reason that gets ta- talked about so much is that because our pace, of, our pace of life or our sinful nature make us forget who our God is. And you know what? All of us can hear an inspiring sermon on a, on a Sunday morning, unless you're checking Facebook. Anybody want to... Anyway, um, but by Thursday, we assume that God's back at sleep again. Don't we? So can I encourage you simply to find a way in whatever it looks like for you, whatever context of life you're in today, to invite God and other Christians into your battlefield. Invite other people you know and trust into your walk with God. We've got to keep reminding ourselves about who our God is. I... There are at least three or four people here this morning who walked in today, they're not quite sure why they are here, and you think God is asleep. And I want to tell you, church, He is not asleep. Hear me? He is not asleep. If we want proof of this, the most obvious place to look to is our, is our cross. The cross of my Saviour. What, what clearer example could there be of a God who cares so deeply and passionately and acts decisively for you so that you can run to him in response? He ain't asleep, church. But that doesn't mean he's going to choose today to answer. Okay? I know there's some other people on the, maybe on the other side of that spectrum, maybe, who, who have been coming to God and praying to God and keeping that need in front of God for what seems like forever. And it seems like he's sleeping and doing nothing. And can I just share a quote that I found from Tim Keller this week that really I think encapsulated how I was thinking on this. While God will grant great times in his presence of peace and tranquility when your heart and your thoughts are completely his, no Christian, none of us, no Christian will ever outgrow the struggle to persevere. We've got to be used to and be okay with living that lifestyle of reliance even if God's not answering because that's exactly where he wants us. Number three, let's just go to the old-fashioned fear. I think Jesus identifies this issue straight away when he says, verse 40, why are you afraid? And I find it interesting that, the, that fear seems to be a bit of a constant in that story. If you go back to when, when Jesus invites people at the start into the boat, he invites people into the... Come along. You would have some, maybe some followers of him 
who was standing on the shore going, should I or shouldn't I? I'm, I'm not really sure I'm up to relinquishing control and jumping in the boat with him right now. And I know there's some, probably some people in, in this church, maybe even, who were sort of following Jesus, but are scared of what's going to happen when you relinquish that last little bit of control. There would be people who were in the boat who think everything is sweet. And then the storm arrives and they're like, oh man, I just want to get out and, and avoid this at all costs. And then there would be others, if you keep reading on, on to, to the start of chapter 5, what happens the next morning when these guys get to the other side of the lake? They get a demon-possessed man ready to have a go at them straight, straight away. So you've got people there who have just conquered the biggest storm they can imagine and they're exhausted and they haven't slept all night and all of a sudden they've got to face this demon-possessed guy and they're like, I can't do this. Okay? I find it interesting that fear just seems to be a constant throughout that whole story. And probably there's, there's probably people, people here who, who fall into one of those um, categories somewhere. Now, there are some, there are, the lesson for us, I think, I think is that fear... Fearful and controlling and exhausted people in our world today, there will always be fear, won't there? There will always be fear, but check this out. Remember, remember what happened in verse 35? Who invited them into the boat? Jesus did. If you go back to verse 35, Jesus invites his followers into a place where at least three things happen. A place where there will be fear. A place where they will be outside of their comfort zone. A place where they will realise their inability. Why? Why would God put me in that situation? Why would God allow all this stuff to happen? Why would God allow what's, what's going on in my life to why would he put me here in the first place? If you hear nothing else, church, hear this. So they recognize that ultimately Jesus alone is their solution. Amen? That's the place where Jesus invites us to. That place of such deep trust in his grace and in awe of his power and love, and glory, and protection, which is when you realise, which is when you realise, church, that your fear of God, your fear of the God who has you in the palm of his hand, must become more than the storm you're in. I, I actually wonder, on a personal level, whether the best play for the disciples in the middle of the storm would have been ditching the bucket, ditching the oars, getting up, walking to where Jesus is having a sleep and saying, hey, do you mind if I borrow some of your pillow? Thanks, man. And having a nap. I wonder whether that, I wonder whether that is the best, the best option on some level. 
Now, it makes no human sense, does it? It makes absolutely no sense at all. But I reckon it was the best option. And I think what Jesus is trying to tell them is that not only is he the solution, but just having him in the boat with you is enough. Because it's in the presence of God that we find the peace and strength and perspective we need the most. It's in his presence where we find what we need the most. I want to tell you today, church, that the the biggest storm of your life is not your circumstances, it was your sin. And and it exists in every little corner and, and area of your heart. And the place that Jesus invites us to come is to simply realize you can't control it or solve it yourself. But he also invites you to that moment where you realize you're incapable so you could realize he would go to the cross for you so you didn't have to face it anymore. That storm's done and dusted, folks. It's over. And he did that so you could run to him. He did that because you don't have to be self-sufficient. He has to be all-sufficient. That's why Jesus did that. And that's the extent to which God, I think, invites us. If we, if we realise that God has already conquered the biggest storm that ever existed, then how bad does your storm you're in right now or the one you're about to walk in sound? It sounds manageable. And that's exactly where God wants you. That's exactly the attitude that he wants you to have. I find great peace in these two verses. Since we have, this is Hebrews 4, since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. Let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There, at the throne of our gracious God, we will receive his mercy and we will find his grace to help us when we need it the most. I find great peace in those words. And if us Christians are known for anything, church, it has to be, I think, a deeply rooted, healthy respect, reliance, trust, and rest in who is in the boat with us. That's who we've got to be. And I only preach it because God really challenged me about it. It must invade every part of who I am. That, that, that truth must go to every cell in my body to the point that that is all I think about, where the fear of my God is bigger than anything else I'm worried about. The next time you're leading a big project at work or you're under the pump or you're at home managing a crisis for Plenty of those happen in our our homes. 
Remember who's in the boat with you. And run to him instead of running away to fear. Run to him instead of running away in doubt. Run to him instead of running back to where you've always run. Push your, push your meeting back 10 minutes. Tell the people who are coming, I'll, I'll meet you at 10 past 2. And stop and ask him for help. Stop and ask him. Go, close the door. Take the phone off the hook. Stop and ask him. Thank him for his presence, which is enough. And ask him if he would help you. That is what makes all the difference. In fact, you know what? Don't just do it for the times you, when, you, when you need it. Do it every day. Get up, in the, get up in the morning and say, I'm not in a place to do anything, but through you I can do whatever you want me to. Because who knows, church? Let me finish on this. Jesus might have even allowed the storm that you're in so that you can come to him and realise that in that moment, he is enough. Just him being there is enough. Let's pray. God, I, I get the sense that there are people here this morning, including, including me, who live life a bit under the pump. And God, we, we, we see this story and we go, that's, that's really nice that God can control the, the things, but he can't control the things that are under the pump for me. And God, Holy Spirit, I pray that your peace might abound for those people. God, I pray for those people this morning who, who maybe have have sort of jumped in the boat with Jesus, but have never really asked him for help. They just don't know if they can actually come to him and ask. Lord, I pray that you might help them to run to you in faith, to leave their burden at your feet. God, I pray for those people today who, who think that maybe you're asleep. Maybe you just don't care. God, I pray that this morning that your Holy Spirit would move them to a position of trust. And God, an ability to rely on you and to leave that crisis or that timing or, or whatever that issue is with you. God, I pray for people who are fearful. That this morning you would move us to, to a place of such deep gratitude and thankfulness and peace where the fear of God has to become more than the fear of the storm. God, there's, you did all you did on the cross. Not so we could just be happy. Not so we could just be people who, who live without any difference but so we could be people who run to you, who run to you at every moment because there's nothing better than running to you. 
Lord, I pray that just that we would realize that if nothing else, not only are you the solution, but just having you with us is enough. It's enough.